right, let's let's just start recording. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Vandy Blitz. Today is Thanksgiving Day, um, and yeah, let's talk some football, boys. So, um, talking just about the matchup today. Currently, it is halftime. Texans are up twenty-three to fourteen against the Lions. Um, what do you think happens in this game, boys? I think honestly. It's going to be a competitive game, but I think Deshaun Watson and the Texans are going to take this one as, as sad as that makes me. I just think Matt Patricia can't coach to save his life. He's just terrible. Uh, and the four and six Lions are not going to pull this one out, even though they are at a Thanksgiving classic. What do you guys think? Yeah, what's up, fans? What's up? Uh, happy Turkey Day. It's yeah. the day where we give thanks to uh, everyone. Great day. I think it's the best holiday. You get some sweet potato casserole, some turkey, some mashed potato. Um, but to talk about football, I think I want to talk about is just the lackluster uh, offense of the Detroit Lions. They had, what, like three turnovers in the first quarter. J.J. Watt had a pick six. Um, and Matt Stafford has 16 touchdowns all time on Thanksgiving Day. And the, the record is Tony Romo with 17. So I think uh, Matt Stafford might be able to do it today. Uh, what do you guys he, think? He is. He's a stat monster. I mean, Matt Stafford yeah. is like – that stat guy, he's basically the freaking Russell Westbrook of the NFL because he will have the most yards, most come fourth quarter comeback, game winning drives in the first in what, whatever amount of games, most touchdowns, and his team is still just sucks. And I can't tell if that's because of him or it's because of the Lions. I feel like it's because of the Lions. Um, but yeah, I think I think Stafford does take that record today. That's a good observation. I didn't even know he was that close, Will. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm also excited for the Washington football team versus the Cowboys later. Alex Smith's like uh, – he's coming back from that injury. He's starting against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. That's exciting. But uh, definitely not, rough not a very some... enthralling game, if we're being honest, though. <laughs> the yeah. Washington football team versus it's... the worst Cowboys team in the past decade. So this isn't – but it's still interesting. I want to see Terry McLaurin kind of pop off. I'm becoming more and more a fan of him. I think he's fourth in the NFL – in receiving yards. Um, so they do have some potential in Washington. It's um, the, thing about, the thing about a guy like Terry McLaurin, though, is like, it's just like, imagine, imagine him on an offense, like the Saints or like just with, with a reliable quarterback that like could get him the ball, like 10, like Keenan, a guy like Keenan, like I can see him being a guy like Keenan Allen, just like 10 receptions a game, like hundred yards, like pretty consistently. I don't know. He's a, he's a really talented player. But just like the in- inconsistency of Washington's quarterback play is like really just in terms of his fantasy like production and just like just like the ceiling he has as a player is, is like severely limited by um, yeah, yeah quarterback. I agree. You think you think it's too premature to say that Dwayne Haskins is just booty cheeks? I think that might not was, be too premature. He's no, like, it's not. And he doesn't that. even start anymore. So it's yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, what are you going to do if you're Washington, though? I mean, Alex Smith is always a fun quarterback to watch, but I swear that dude is literally the bionic man. And, I, and I'm afraid for his legs every time he gets sacked. I'm like, dude, this guy's about to go back to the hospital. So. Yeah, um, I, I think that, that that should be a fun game. Obviously, like, it has a lot of playoff implications, just, like, considering how awful that division is. Um. But, uh, yeah, like, what do you guys – what do you guys think? Who's your pick for that game? I honestly take um, Washington. Just because those skill positions, I think they 
Um, you know, I think Terry McLaurin, that, that receiving core, I mean, honestly, it's hard to break it down just because these are teams that are both just subpar in a lot of areas. So it's hard to compare them, but. And their um, winner is the leader of the division, which is just so weird to think. It's, it's so asinine. The fact that, did you guys see the playoff breakdown? It's like seven and three, seven and three, eight and two, 10 and zero, and then three, six and one with the Eagles. I was like, dude, this is, this is all the reflection that you need on the NFC East. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, I, agree. I agree with you, Acker. I think that, like, I think the Cowboys are off a big win. Um, probably, like, the biggest win they'll get all year. I think just everything went right for them last week, able to beat the Vikings. But this this week, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think that, like, we always talk about how good the, the Washington defense is. And I think Alex Smith is, like, the best quarterback in their, in their on their roster. I think, I think he'll help them out and – yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think that the uh, Washington football team is going to take this one. I don't know if I would say that the Cowboys win was a fluke, but I agree with you, Jacob, in that like everything kind of a fluke. to go right. Um, so a little bit of a fluke. I think yeah. it was a little bit of a fluke. Yeah, but uh, speaking about Thanksgiving games, we actually had some unfortunate news the other day that the. Um, Ravens and Steelers game had to be postponed due to uh, the Ravens, I guess, had too many um, players that had COVID or players or coaches, um, which yeah. is unfortunate because I was looking forward to that game a lot. I don't know. How that was sort of the game of the day. That was the game of the yeah. day. I saw uh, Chase Claypool and Juju tweet out angrily like, ah, we, we always have to deal with other teams just not having their shit together. Um, and at some point, like – that, that does become relevant because it's not happening to every team. So, like, do you think it's a manager side thing or it's just COVID being COVID de- delaying these games? Or do you think – I think it's COVID being COVID. But one thing, like, I do want to mention is that, like, it does feel inconsistent. Like, some teams are having to play without players and then some teams are getting the benefit of the delay. Obviously, they're, re- like, rescheduling the game to Sunday. But I just think – I wish there was a more consistent, like, rule with the whole rescheduling. I honestly think, like, there there is a managerial side to this because when you look at some teams, like, you know, the Steelers who have had their shit together week in, week out, as Juju tweeted, and then they've they've had to deal with this, like, this is, I think, the second or third time they're dealing with an opposing team. Oh, but, 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 again, it is a pandemic, so you, yeah. you, you got you to look at both sides of that. That's true. But I, the one thing I do want to say, Jacob, before I pass it to you um, – Wilf, I, I think if there were consistency, it might be more strict. So I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the sporadic nature of these delays just because I would rather more games than less. And I think if they had like a strict limit or like, oh, you need this many players not having COVID or if this many players have COVID, you can't play a game, we would see a lot more postponed, delayed, and like canceled games altogether. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the inconsistency because I think it lets us watch more football, which at the end of the day is, is the goal. No, I don't. I don't really. I don't really agree with that. I, I just think that, like, I, I totally understand what what Andrew's saying. Where like the Ravens probably could have fielded a team and probably could have played, but I don't think like it. It wouldn't have been the Steelers Ravens that we're used to. And I think like in that sort of respect, like sure, the NFL will postpone that game because it's you know probably one of the biggest games on the schedule. But you know, whatever. Lions, Lions game. Maybe they w- they wouldn't do that same thing. I I agree that there 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 isn't really 
the transparency that like some of like the other leagues in the NBA have given um mm-hmm. and, and just like going back to what Juju and and them are saying like we've been at school like we've seen that like it doesn't I mean we can take the precautions and and like this is just a virus that we have to deal with anyways and you know so I, I don't think it's right for Juju to Juju and them to be like angry because it's it's not something that we can control and like we just have to yeah we have to we just have to understand that like this is how it's going to be in COVID. I understand that I understand that perspective as well um you and Wolf make good points I do want to respond though by saying if we did have some more consistency making sure like oh it's the Ravens versus the Steelers as you said specifically referring to this game um we would see a lot of postponed games. And, and I know that, you know, we addressed that in the previous comment, but would you be okay with that? I guess is my question to both of you less games if, with tighter COVID regulations, because I think that's, re- that's reasonable to push back against for a lot of fans of their teams. They just want to see them play football. They want to make money. That's going to be a really tough thing for the league in terms of generating as much revenue. So yeah, it's true. tricky. And, and, and the ratings are not down this year for it's true. I don't know. NFL, it's, it's so just, it's it's kind of tricky to back that whole thing together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, sorry. Go ahead, Theo. No. Yeah. I, I didn't really have too much to say about that. I just wanted to maybe transition into a new topic. Um, it's kind of out of left field, but uh, I was just looking at um, NBA free agents, and I just wanted to mention one thing that kind of bothered me or not uh, yeah I guess it bothered me was that Brandon Ingram got a um, five-year 158 million dollar deal which I don't think he deserves to be honest with you I think he's a good player but I don't think he deserved that much money yet I don't think he's really proved himself for a 158 million dollar deal I don't know how you guys feel about that but that's just me here's how I feel about it um just uh, Jacob's going to have a lot to say about this conversation with that band signing as well. I think um, me being a jazz fan, we have the Donovan Mitchell signing get a max this off season. We've seen a lot of players get maxed out on their rookie extensions. Um, and honestly, I was surprised. To see Brandon Ingram didn't get a max. Uh, Ethan, we can't really hear you right Fox. now. Um, but- Going in and out. Started. Uh, oh, sorry about that. How, how is it now? Yeah, we're all good. Crap. So, um, yeah. All right. Just, just Should be better. That. I went to a... Yeah, Jacob, and then I will go, and then Ethan will go back to you. Okay, great. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so so we're just talking about these these rookie extensions, and I do, I do agree with both of you guys. I think that Ingram one was, was – a bit early just because like with with Mitchell and with Bam like we've seen those two guys carry their teams to deep runs in the playoffs and and really give us some incredible performances that prove to their front offices and to their coaches that you know they deserve that that step up and they have the you know they have the potential to lead their team to an NBA championship and that's just not something that Brandon Ingram has done well, I think I think the main thing, Jacob, for Brandon Ingram that we were kind of like not mentioning is the Pelicans, their future is Zion Williamson. And they just traded Drew Holiday. And I think their main thing is 
they could be signing Brandon Ingram too because of that locker room presence, which we know he's been around the block, and I think that's really important. He's also a Duke guy, right? Like he and you know, Zion have a good. He's not. No, he is. He is. Oh, he I is. just I, I'm not sure that this is the right path to be following down. Not to not to push back on you too hard, Andrew, but. You know, we see Bam get these max. We see Donovan get this max. We see De'Aaron Fox on the Kings get this max. And then different we're level about, players. One hundred percent agree. No, no, no. And I want to talk about Brandon Ingram putting up twenty four a game, getting close to that All Star. You know, you're hitting fifty point games where he has a game winner in regulation, and like this guy is the real deal. He's a good NFL player. I mean, not NFL, NBA player. Great second option. And the fact that they were able to keep him without giving him that rookie max extension next to Zion, he is their second piece at the moment. Who else is? Are we talking about, are we talking about Lonzo Ball being the second piece on this team? No. Okay. Are we talking no, about? I think, I, like, I think what you're saying, like, it was the right move for the Pelicans, but like, if I'm, a general manager in the NBA, I'm not giving Ingram that contract because I've... okay. So I want to transition that to just to talk about a couple other players in comparison, just to just to give you because I feel like the context of the NBA landscape is really important in this conversation. So we have like Tobias Harris on the on the Sixers getting a max. We have you know, and we talk about not being playoff proven. Uh, all these reasons that I've heard uh, for not giving Brandon Ingram this max or not close to max contract is do we not give Devin Booker a max contract? He's averaging similar point totals in this. I mean, maybe not now, but like earlier in his career when we were like, oh yeah, Booker is definitely a max player. I feel like it's all about the context. And the context here is that he is that second player on the, on the Pelicans. He is better than some other max players out there. And he didn't even get the max. Um, and I think that, that that's actually a pretty good move. If I'm a GM and I can get, Brandon Ingram for, you know, maybe five years, 150 million is too much forthright. But when, when you have the context of the league in there and, and you're sort of talking about the situation, not just from the Pelicans GM perspective, but many others as well. I don't think this is an overpay. I think this is a, is a, is a solid lining pay me personally, you know, coming from the jazz, a franchise that, that doesn't need talent like that. Like I wouldn't want my front office to give him this kind of money, but you know, when you're, when you're, a rebuilding franchise a player like Brandon Ingram young you know all-star caliber player puts up you know elite score I think it's worth it yeah I agree I don't think it's an overpay per se I think it's uh what I was trying to get at is it's premature I think so I think I think think that's what you guys were touching on I think Brandon Ingram hasn't really proven himself yet and like it's basically paying him to prove himself, but he hasn't proved himself yet. So if he ends up like, be, like busting, for example, right, spend all this money on a player who's not going to do anything for them. So I, I just so what are immature. So are we talking about? I feel like that's a problem with the NBA contract structure then, because we have guys like Darren Fox who I think have proven themselves way less getting bigger deals, and that's just because of how much leverage the players have now, you know, and how and how much precedent that is set. So. I don't think it's premature when you're looking contextually wise. I think looking from a third party perspective, that's someone that's not a GM, a fan. Um, Theo, I absolutely agree with you. This isn't the kind of player that I want to see on my, you know, sheet. Oh, hasn't really led a team to the playoffs and he's getting paid 30 something million dollars. That's, that's the troubling side. But when you, 
yeah. speaking speaking about uh like just heavy like big contracts um what do you what do you have to say about uh Gordon Hayward and and I want to hear um from Andrew about this as well yeah so I'll go right off I think um Gordon Hayward he's a great player don't get me wrong he was great at Butler he was great in Utah he's great in Boston but to me he's not your number one option that's the bottom line and I think when he was in Utah they were good, but they were never like the Celtics were because Gordon Hayward had pieces around him in, with similar skill levels. I think Gordon Hayward, it was a great signing for the Hornets, but I don't know if he can really lead them to a serious playoff push. But also, I also think you have to look at the players around him. Like I know Ethan's about to come in hot with like, oh, Gordon Hayward's this, Gordon Hayward's that. I think he's good, but I also think the pieces around him make the team as a whole like a solid team. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think, you know, the con for the, the Hornets specifically, when you're that kind of market with that kind of reputation of just not being a competitive team and just being terrible, um, you're going to have to overpay for, for free agents just to get them to go there. Um, and the fact that they were able to get Gordon to go there, pair him with LaMelo, you know, they have, they have Devante. They're, I think they could flip Rozier for something. He didn't play terribly this last year. They got Miles Bridges. They, they have some assets there. If they can make a signing with a big man, this is a legitimate playoff contender in the East. And for the Hornets, for the Hornets, that's, that's a huge step in the right direction. Huge. And Gordon Hayward specifically, you know, you might say 30 million is an overpay. If it were me, I think this guy deserves maybe three years, 75 million, like a 25. I, I think it is an overpay but for the Hornets. I don't. And, you know, Let's, let's not discount Gordon Hayward as a player, too. 18 points per game last season is a fourth option on 50% shooting, close to 40% from three. This guy, he can pass, he can defend, he can shoot, he can drive, he can slash, he can do post moves. He, he, he's got a lot of tools in, in, his, in his toolbox. And combining this, as you said, Theo, with, with players like LaMelo, they're going to have a great – and Devontae, their playmaking. DJ Washington, really yeah. Yeah, no. It's I'm excited Washington. to see how he plays with Lonzo, too. Lonzo Ball. Lamelo, you mean? Lamelo, yeah. might be. The playmaking is going to be tremendous. The shooting is going to be good. Um, hopefully, the defense on that team can hold up. And and honestly, this makes the Hornets a team that I'm I'm, I'm looking to watch. Which honestly, I'm just shocked to hear that come out of my mouth. When have you ever the fact, heard someone say that? Even when they exactly, <laughs> I've never yeah. I've, ne- I've never heard someone say that in the past decade that they want to watch the Hornets. And now this signing. Honestly, it, you know, it could be bad. It could end up the wrong way. It could be Batum 2.0 if Hayward gets another injury and his athleticism sapped out and he can't play like he played this year. But honestly, I, I think this is a really good move for the Hornets in putting them more on the map and getting them closer to playoff contention. I like how they're not just sitting and waiting. That's, that's, a, that's a bad thing for NBA franchises to do. They, they got to take action like what they did here. Do you guys think Michael Jordan had a huge uh... – impact in these signings and do you think Gordon Hayward going to the Hornets could have been impacted by um Michael Jordan being in Charlotte I, I don't think you can you know there's two things like I, I think that like when when mm-hmm. Charlotte is in free agency I mean Michael Jordan like is that is the Charlotte Hornets so um I, I like I don't think that's separate I think that like Michael Jordan is very involved in, in every single thing that happens with that team. And yeah, so I think, I think without Michael Jordan, yeah, you wouldn't see uh, much of, of just the roster. I mean, 
I agree with you, Acker. When you spell it out like that, it's a nice team, and I'm excited to watch them. <laughs> Sounds sweet. Yeah, no, and honestly, honestly, I think that this signing has a lot less to do with the, with the Hornets and a lot more to do with the Celtics. It's time to start analyzing the trend over there. Al Horford leaves in free agency when they thought they had him for sure. You don't, you don't, you guys may not remember, but when Al Horford first declined his player option, Celtics fans were like, oh, he wants to be locked into a long-term deal. He's not leaving. There's no way he's leaving and he's gone. Same thing happened with Hayward this season. He declined his $35 million player option. They're like, oh, he wants more long-term security. He wants a long-term deal. He's staying. Boom, he's gone. Kyrie, the second free agency hits, he says earlier that season, I'm staying in Boston. Free agency hits. They offer him the same contract as the net. Booms, he booms, he's gone. Like, what is it about the Boston Celtics and this yeah. front office that is we, we always talk about them as a great front office because their team construction has been has been pretty pretty good the way that they've been able to navigate these surprises, these these you know, sudden changes in their roster. But why are people leaving? And especially after that Isaiah Thomas trade in 2017, players around the league just don't trust the Celtics. They just don't look, look, at, the, uh, look at the front office the same way. Um, so I, I want to I talk to you. I want to ask you guys, before we transition to Boiler Room and make some hot takes and wrap this episode up, if you think the Boston Celtics have a front office problem, because I do think that this is more of an issue of him leaving the Celtics than joining the Hornets. I think he joined the Hornets probably because they gave him $120 million. That's my personal. Yeah, um, obviously, I think, like, Danny Ainge is one of the best general managers in basketball. But at the same time, we do have to think about the Celtics. They're always there, but they never go over the hump. And I think they maybe think, if I'm not going over the hump, maybe I'd be the number one guy somewhere else and kind of do my own thing. And I think that's definitely the case with Gordon Hayward. And I don't really know, like, what their relationships were with Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, but that could have been, um, there could have been beef there. I think Brad Stevens is a good coach, but I think there's definitely validity to him wanting to be more of a, more of a focal point of the offense. Cause I think what he signed there, that was when Isaiah Thomas was there. And then all of a sudden Kyrie gets brought in. He thinks he's the number two option gets terribly injured. And then all of a sudden he's the number three option behind Tatum. Then Brown breaks out and all of a sudden he's the number four option. And, and Hayward handled this really well while on the team, you know, publicly saying he'll, he's fine with whatever position, but I'm sure internally he wanted the ball more. And now he's going to get that in Charlotte. Um, but anyway, uh, I think that's, that's really interesting. We have a lot of conversations upcoming about more NBA stuff because a lot of things are going to be happening with the season starting so soon. But let's transition to boil room. I want to hear some hot takes from the, vo- from the boys at the Vandy Blitz, um, and I'll let you guys start it off. Yeah, so I was I was thinking for this week that we could um we could all name kind of um an NBA team that we think is going to overperform this year, maybe not overperform, but you know just who who we think have really remade their rosters into um a contending team. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and start, and although um they were, I have a feeling I know what you're gonna say, Jacob. I have a oh no no. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna be a homer and say the Heat, even though. No, I. I. I let's see if it's it's right. I just want to hear your prediction. I have a feeling. I, I know where you're going with this. All right, I'm going with the Portland Trailblazers. Was, is that? No, nah, no. I have another team, but that was that's a that's a good pick here. That's a good All pick. Right. Here. Yeah. So I think that um after I think the Portland Trailblazers had the best free agency in the league. I, I think that they've come away with the roster that that really has no holes and 
after a year where injuries really just like tore through that lineup and and they they didn't they didn't have the depth really um to to still contend and get back to that western conference championship game um but i think this year's the year and after getting covington and and re-signing carmelo um who else who else am i missing whack are you gonna help me out with this didn't they get um they got a big man right they, the Zach Collins is healthy. Nurkic is healthy. Honestly, it's just about the, the roster coming back together with the addition of Rocco um, to help fill in that, that side, that side, uh, the, I mean, that wing piece, you know, trading Ariza. I think that's a fantastic move, getting that defensive presence. Another lane. Yeah. Oh, and Ariza, I think, is washed. What's that? I think Ariza's sold. They didn't need him. Yeah. They no, that's shooters. Oh, yeah. Inez Cantor as well. They, um, uh, went out they brought cancer back champions right there <laughs> exactly um so yeah like I, I just really like what they did I think they just like just solidified like they they just filled the holes and and I'm I'm ready to see them get back into the mix of things and really go after that Larry yeah, yeah. I, I really really like that take Jacob um but I'm gonna go ahead and parallel it with saying this the team, this team that I thought you were about to say had an even better offseason and are going to make even more of a jump and be real contenders in the East this year, and that's the Atlanta Hawks. Signing Gallinari, signing Bogdanovich, filling out that roster. They have some of the most incredible depth in the entire league. This team has made a concerted push to make Trey Young competitive, and I love to see it. Um, and, you know, on the flip side of this boiler room, I'm going to say a team that I think has high expectations that made a couple signings I really don't love that I think is going to come back to bite them in the ass, and that's the Pelicans. And it's not the Brandon Ingram signing specifically. It's that Steven Adams signing, because why? You trade your spacer for a less spacing Eric Bledsoe. You have Zion who needs space to operate in the paint. Brandon Ingram's a great shooter, sure, but he also operates in between the arches. Bad signing, clogging up the spacing. This is not going to be a team that makes the jump that you think it will. The Hawks are the team that are going to make a jump that you don't expect. So that's yeah. my boy. Take. Yeah. So, yeah. You go, Theo, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Ethan. I think it's – and I think Stephen A., if I'm not wrong, was talking about how the Hawks have put Trey Young in a position to show what he can do, and it's up to him at this point. And so I agree with you on the Hawks, but I also wanted to bring up the Phoenix Suns who um, obviously got Chris Paul in a blockbuster trade. They have Devin Booker, so they have a nice backcourt. And then their front court's also looking very strong with DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Jalen Smith, who they drafted from Maryland. And they signed Jay Crowder from the Heat. So I think they have a good amount of depth. Oh, and they also have Mikael Bridges. They have it's a good take. amount of depth in the front court. And they have a very solid backcourt with Chris Paul getting old, but he's still able to play as we saw with the Thunder when he was on the Thunder, um, along with Devin Booker, who we saw like played amazing in the bubble. Um, so I think they're a team that not many people are going to be looking at and saying like, oh, this team's going to be amazing. But I do think they're going to end up making the playoffs and probably not going to contend for anything. But I think they're going to look like a very good team this year. Yeah, Solid so a team I think could be that, like, so I think you make a great point, Theo, they're a team for the future with, obviously, you have Booker and Chris Paul, but a team that I could see as, like, a five to eight seed in the West is the Minnesota Timberwolves with the deloading, 
Cat and the Anthony Edwards signing. I just think there's a lot of good pieces, and I'm just really interested to see how that team uh, works together, and I could really see them overperforming. Good stuff. Um, well, that, that wraps up this episode of the Vanny Blitz. Thanks for hanging with us. We, Joe was missed today. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it because of Thanksgiving stuff. Um, but the gang will all be back together soon. We got some interesting formatting stuff coming up soon. Stay tuned. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for watching. And we, we look forward to entertaining you more next time. Thanks, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. All right, cool guys.